Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with episode 263 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again, though we are coming to you 24 hours delayed from when we normally publish this show talk about everything that happened this week in the world of AEW and NXT. We have an absolute ton to get to, and as I said, we are about a day later than normal, so the Silver King is not going to waste much time opening up today's show. First, a reminder that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, as always, so please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also, leave a review. Let people know how much you love this damn podcast. Give them reasons to subscribe, to listen, and to join the rest of us getting overheads uh, in listening to, again, your favorite professional wrestling podcast. As promised, when there are five-star ratings and reviews, the Silver King will read them on the show, and we did get another one, so I'm going to read it. Coming from Matt out of nowhere, he says, great show, five stars. Hello to the Silver King and Vintage Chris. I love your podcast for its honest and objective analysis. I'm happy it exists because for the time being, it will be the way I stay up to date with weekly WWE TV. The Royal Rumble broke me. It's my favorite event of the year. WWE took a big flaming dump on it. Between releases for no reason, rebranding NXT and now this, there was no reason for me to spend seven hours of my week watching a product that no longer does anything for me. The best part of the show was Rollins' entrance, and it was a steady decline from there. Thanks for all you do. I will continue to listen to know what's going on, but I can't continue to waste my time with a company that has no clue what its fans want. So, okay, I didn't. <laughs> you guys know I don't really read these five-star uh, reviews before I read them on the show, so that was a little bit funny uh, that that's what it said. But thank you, Matt from out of nowhere, for continuing to listen, even if you are no longer watching WWE. Hopefully, the product gets better and we we may be bringing you around with some of the things we say on the show and get you to start watching again. Also, folks, I would be remiss if I did not remind you to please remember to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode releases, wrestling news, uh, highlights, just my commentary on wrestling throughout the week. It's a good follow if I do say so myself, and I do. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Uh, before we get into today's show, uh, why were we delayed? I probably owe you a reason and an explanation. And I'm going to tell you, uh, you guys have obviously listened to the last two episodes, the Royal Rumble Instant Analysis, which, by the way, just outside of our top 10 most listened to episodes of all time at number 11. It's it's crying to get into that top 10, but it's hanging on right there. Um, You heard that. You heard our WWE episode from Tuesday. And if you heard those shows, you understood that the Silver King uh, was not 100%, to say the least. On Saturday, I had a scratchy, dry throat. I wasn't sure what was going on. On Tuesday, I was kind of under the assumption that I had a really bad head cold or something like that. Alas, I did not. The Silver King, after two years of mask wearing, staying indoors, uh, being extremely careful, uh, contracted COVID-19. I had a breakthrough infection. I am double vaxxed with Moderna. I also had my booster shot. And yet, yes, even the Silver King somehow uh, can be hit hard by the beast known as the coronavirus. Uh, So look, let me just... I'm not going to waste a lot of time on the show talking about it, but this is what I want to say. It sucked. Okay. And at first, like I said, I thought I just had cold symptoms, but 
I had a sore throat and a scratchy throat that did not go away for about five days, which is not normally something that happens to people unless you have strep throat or something like that. Um, my I took my test on uh, Monday morning. I got my PCR results Tuesday after I taped the show, which is why I didn't know on the show that I had COVID. And while the first couple of days were just kind of cold symptoms, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday of this past week, I felt absolutely awful. Just congestion, lethargy, uh, exhaustion from start to finish. And it was bad. I mean, it wasn't bad compared to obviously what you've heard. Some other people have gone through where they've been hospitalized. People have died. It's an extremely serious illness. But again, I am triple vaccinated. So for me to have three vaccines against this and still get some symptoms, hopefully gives you a little bit of real life experience to to kind of show you how real this can be. So um, if you're not vaccinated, and I know people have their own opinions and, and reasons for not doing it, please give it a second thought. I think it's something that could potentially save your life. Or even if it's not one of those situations, let's say you're an extremely healthy person, even though extremely healthy people have gotten very sick and died from it. Uh, If it's something that can lessen your symptoms simply by getting a prick in the arm a couple times, trust me, it's worth it. Because I'm a baby when it comes to getting sick. This was bad, and I cannot imagine if it was worse. Uh, So protect yourself, protect your family and friends, your loved ones, your coworkers, and protect strangers and those who are more vulnerable, the elderly, uh, children, whatever the case might be. Go and get vaccinated if you haven't been. And if you are vaccinated, don't think that you can't get it and don't think that you can't pass it. Please continue wearing masks when you're out with a lot of people um, in particular, especially when you're in indoor settings where it can be highly transmissible. Please take all that into consideration. Be careful. You do not want this. And again, I had what I would consider a mild case. And I'm telling you, you do not want this. Thank you for those of you who DM'd me and sent tweets, hoping I felt better, even though you didn't know, of course, what I was going through. I didn't even know myself until late Tuesday. Um, and let me just tell you that when I felt this bad, watching and taking notes on wrestling for AEW and NXT is not something at all that I wanted to do. So I didn't. I didn't do any of that until late on Thursday, where I finally decided, hey, I feel well enough where I can kind of get prepared for the show and make sure that everyone gets a podcast before the end of the week. Um, That said, I was pleasantly surprised with what I got from AEW and NXT. So it did not feel like I wasted my time where I was sitting watching something that was just making me angry, Um, you know, as those shows kind of have, and WWE as well. The last couple of weeks, I did find a lot of enjoyment out of watching AEW and NXT, both in a DVR fashion. And as I said last week, Rampage for me has just become a show that I cannot get into. I mean, occasionally, sure, there might be a good match on it, but there is nothing about Rampage that makes me want to watch it every week. There are still things for Raw, SmackDown, AEW, Dynamite, and NXT that draw me to being excited when I see it on my DVR or when it's any of those nights at the times the shows are about to start where it says, oh yeah, that's on. I can't wait to watch it, right? Rampage is that one show every week for me that feels like work. I feel like I only watch Rampage for this podcast. It doesn't mean I'm going to stop doing it. I'm just telling you that it, it's it's a drain on me, that particular show. And because of that, I think it's well-placed. You know, it's Friday night, 10 o'clock. Let it be in that spot. Anyone who complains, hey, AEW should move that to another night, put it at 8 p.m. and make it two hours. No, it would be too much content at this point. 
I think everything, every show that exists right now is probably exactly where it needs to be and what it needs to be. The only changes I would make, I would obviously make a myriad changes to NXT, including making it one hour. Um, But SmackDown, I would move off Fridays, but obviously Fox is not going to do that. But man, did I love when it was Raw and SmackDown Monday and Tuesday back to back. That was awesome. Um, And I wish that's what it was like going forward. Then you have AEW on Wednesday. You put NXT, let's say, on Thursday and Rampage on Friday. And now you have five nights a week of professional wrestling on television. I don't think that's going to be happening anytime soon. I think Fox very much likes where SmackDown is on Friday. So yeah, that's my uh, little dissertation to start the show to tell you all about COVID. Uh, Again, please get vaccinated if you haven't been. Please wear masks if you have stopped. It is not over, not by a long shot. Uh, In fact, by the way, one last thing I will say, uh, after years of basically no one I know having gotten it because we were all being careful as family and friends, basically everyone I know, uh, close family and friends, local where I live in South Florida, has gotten it over the last two months. So again, the shit is not over. Be careful, protect those that you love and even those that you don't. Everyone deserves to be protected from this. Okay, let's actually talk about wrestling. Thank you guys for sitting with me through that. Uh, As always, we're going to talk AEW and NXT on the show. I will start with AEW. There are going to be timestamps in the episode uh, separating both so you can skip around, you know, whatever you watch, you'll be able to listen to. But of course, as always, the Silver King reminds you to please listen to the entire show because you should know what's going on with the other brands and companies, even if you don't watch it on television. So let's start with AEW. Uh, On Dynamite, the main event of the show, the main event for AEW this week, CM Punk versus MJF in Chicago. Uh, Entrances for this match began with 45 minutes left. The timing told you that AEW was not going to mail in a short match or give us a schmoz finish, even though they teased it. And we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, The only pre-match negative that I had is, this is the same thing I always say about AEW. I wish each guy got to cut a promo or do something to promote the match earlier in the show. Even if it was a taped promo, doing something in hour one to promote a main event in hour two is necessary, and AEW never, ever does it. And to me, that is extremely frustrating. As far as the match, the bell rang with 40 minutes remaining. They went right into the crowd to brawl. Punk body slammed MJF on the apron, then hit the Pepsi twist. MJF choked Punk with some tape uh, behind the referee's back, then put him in a sleeper hold. Once he locked in the sleeper, there was no further leverage on the tape, but they kept selling it as if MJF was choking him out. MJF took him down to the canvas in a body scissors. The referee counted three arm drops and then called the match for MJF. Now, the choke, again, it made complete sense initially, but once he started using both of his arms around Punk's head, one on top of his forehead, one below his neck, the pressure of the tape was gone, and therefore it was a really flimsy way to make it seem like Punk got choked out, even if it wasn't the ultimate match finish, which it was not. The referee saw the tape on the canvas after the bell rang. He restarted the match. MJF escaped the STF. They had some nice counters and reversals. MJF thumbed the eye, and Punk hit a poison rana but landed on his head. MJF kept chopping Punk's knee and hit a sit-down pump handle slam. It has a name, that move, but I forgot what it was. Uh, MJF caught Punk with a mule kick low blow and then got his feet on the ropes for a near fall. And that took us into the final 10 minutes of the match. Punk hit a Pepsi plunge, which I did not think we'd ever see him do again, given his age, given his knee problems and hip problems. That's how much, though, putting MJF over meant to him in the spot. 
You could just tell that. Then he followed with an elbow drop for a near fall. MJF rolled out of the ring and Wardlow uh, entered from backstage. He stared down Punk, then moved aside. Punk put MJF back in the ring and he kept staring at Wardlow really for no reason at all. Like in kayfabe, there was no reason for Punk to keep looking at Wardlow in that moment. The referee was focused on Punk and Wardlow. He wasn't going to get attacked. And if he did, it would have been a disqualification. So it wouldn't have mattered. Anyway, by the time Punk turned around, MJF hit him with a really stupid dynamite diamond ring and he got the one, two, three. On replay after the match, AEW showed Wardlow handing the ring to MJF behind his back while he was confronting Punk. That was a great and necessary addition to the story because it immediately tied up the loose end of whether what Wardlow did in coming in was purposeful to help MJF or whether it was simply circumstantial and MJF took advantage of it. It told us this was planned, he did it on purpose, and MJF got over on Punk by cheating, not just taking advantage of a situation. Punk also laid out cold in the ring for like three minutes after the match ended, and I just thought it was a terribly disappointing finish to an absolutely fantastic match. The ring, the diamond ring, is so massively stupid as a weapon, and it has been since day one. Brass knuckles to the jaw, that's one thing, that's real. A tiny ring to the forehead, it's just a joke. It really added to what this match was, which is a throwback match straight out of like 1985. And that's actually not a criticism because it was a phenomenal match that I can't believe they put on television. It made sense them doing that being that it was in Chicago. MJF did not get the heel heat that I expected from beating Punk in his hometown, mostly because of the way the finish transpired. But it was definitely a monumental win for him, both in kayfabe and reality for his career. And now MJF gets to brag about beating Punk not once, but twice in the same night in his own hometown. That's all really good stuff. I assume we're going to get a rematch at Revolution that Punk is going to win. If so, this may ultimately hold a bit less meaning. If not, this is going to be one of MJF's crowning moments. It was the best TV match of the week by a mile. I'm going to go 4.5 stars and an A, but I am slightly downgrading it from the finish. Again, a ring to the head. Ending the match number one is ridiculous. Punk selling it as knocking him completely out for three minutes is also ridiculous, In kayfabe sense, it is very 1980s. Like you could see someone like the Million Dollar Man, just as an example, winning a match that way, beating someone shocking, like the ultimate warrior, let's say, or Macho Man Randy Savage with a really cheap thing like that. But it's just so nonsensical for a ring to have that much impact and power, especially coming from someone like MJF. If Big Show was throwing a punch and it did that, okay, maybe you could say it just added a little bit extra to really, you know, set it forward. But MJF throwing a punch with a ring, it shouldn't win a match and it shouldn't really knock out Punk. Yet, this is something they've done numerous times. So I hated the finish and I still gave it 4.5 stars, which if you remember is very much what I said about um, the Royal Rumble match between Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns. I didn't love that it was a disqualification, even though I thought the disqualification made an absolute ton of sense, but it took a match that I thought should have and would have been higher and made it 4.5 stars in an A. So I thought these were very much on the same plane. I do want to note that there was a really sweet moment immediately after the three count where MJF basically hugged Punk's head on the canvas, very similar to what Shawn Michaels did to Ric Flair when he retired him at WrestleMania, clearly thanking him for putting him over in the match, 
I thought it was very cool to see that for an extended period of time. And I was glad the camera stayed on it. It was about 35 seconds or so where MJF was like hugging him and saying that. That was all very, very cool. I did get a DM from Brett Charles Malam at Brett underscore Malam. He goes, I don't know if this is a hot take, but I thought the Punk MJF match was solid, maybe good, but not great. Can't quite put my finger on it, but it just felt slightly off. Maybe the intensity heat was lacking relative to the story. Lame finish two, making Punk look dumb. I think the reason why some people didn't love the match is because it was a throwback match. Like I said earlier, it was very a very much a 1980s style wrestling match with the finish. Uh, now, there were some moves in there, certainly that were not 1980s style, but the booking of it was. And I think that turned some people off. You can be a good, not great match and still be an A match, which is what I gave it. I don't think this is a match that's memorable for me. I'll probably never watch it again. I do agree, though, that it being in Chicago, it didn't have the response and heat that I thought it would. And I don't know that it's their fault necessarily, although maybe the finish booking did play into it. But I was surprised that it wasn't louder and more vociferously angry towards MJF at the end of the match. It just kind of felt like everyone was, oh, okay, that's the finish. As opposed to, boo this man, he beat our guy, he cheated, you know. I didn't get that intense feeling that I thought I would in the finish. So in some ways I disagree, but I also kind of disagree with you, Brett. All right, let's talk about everything else that went down in AEW. So on Rampage, we had John Moxley versus Anthony Bowens. We had another bad Max Caster rap. Mox hit Caster with a suicide dive. Then Bowens caught Mox with a really cool draping inverted twisting DDT. Bowens grabbed a chair to distract so Caster could throw him a chain. Mox caught him with a cutter and a lariat plus a paradigm shift for the win. Solid match. Mox looked really fit. I could actually make an argument he's even too skinny at this point. Uh, Brian Danielson was shown watching backstage and that played out further on Dynamite where we got John Moxley versus Wheeler Yuta. Yuta was a replacement in this match for Brian Kendrick, and that came after Tony Khan signed Kendrick for the match, I presume because he was in the news of not being with WWE anymore, so he wanted to capitalize on that by putting Kendrick on AEW television, which is just so Tony Khan and so AEW to do something like that and not really think it through or realize they have no need or use whatsoever for Brian Kendrick in AEW. He does not give them anything they do not already have. Uh, but anyway, so this happened. He was set for the, a match. And then some abhorrent stuff about Kendrick came out online, stuff he believes in, he's perpetrated in interviews and things like that. And that led to Tony Khan pulling him for the show, which, by the way, was the right move. So good on Tony for doing that. But if he wasn't so quick to try and take shots at WWE and make news for using talent the WWE released, it never would have been an issue in the first place. There was no ma- no reason for this match to ever have been booked or happen on Dynamite at all, given their huge roster and all the people Mox could have faced, including the guy he actually faced, Wheeler Yuta. Anyway, as far as the match goes, uh, Mox DDT'd Yuta on the apron. Dan Housen was ringside. Apparently he's with Orange Cassidy and Yuta and best friends now. I I, I don't know that or understand that. Uh, so he and Orange distracted Mox as Wheeler splashed him outside and inside. Mox then won with the paradigm shift. Like with the Bowens match, the match itself was largely irrelevant. What happened after the match was very relevant. So Danielson appeared in the ring. He said Mox was the best AEW world champion that they've ever had in the company's history, and he'd still be champion if he'd gotten any support from anyone. Brian said they shouldn't be fighting each other. They should be fighting together. Danielson said there's no reason for a millennial cowboy to be AEW champion, a dinosaur to be AEW tag team champion, and a vlogger 
to be TNT champion. He said they should win all the titles, take young guys under their wing, and shape the future of professional wrestling together. Danielson then gave Mox time to think about the potential legacy that they could create. He offered his hand to shake. Mox didn't shake it. And Danielson's like, hey, think about it. We'll talk about it later. Now, this was incredible. The truth is that everything Brian said is what I actually think about AEW. Do I like some of the wrestling and some of the storylines? Of course I do. I talk about it on this show. But there is way too much ridiculousness, way too many guys with potential just there doing indie wrestling shtick every single week. The idea of not only having a two-man power trip, but having those two men be leaders of a faction that is going to take wrestling seriously and develop all this type of talent, it's absolutely incredible. However, this to me feels like a mechanism just to create a feud between Mox and Danielson, maybe for them to fight at Revolution. It doesn't feel like it's something that's actually going to happen. That would be unfortunate because I find that story idea and that booking incredibly compelling. It's the exact type of storyline and exact type of faction, group, whatever, that I would be down to watch. It's, it speaks directly to my wrestling senses. It heightens them. It gets me excited for the product. So I'm very intrigued about this. I thought this was my favorite storyline in AEW this entire week, but I don't think they're going to do it. Very similar to the Malachi Black, Black Mist deal, where he kept misting people. I was like, oh, it's going to turn all these people heel and bring them over to his side, and and they just didn't do it. And it was right out there for them to do. So I'm not going to judge it until they decide to do it or not to do it, obviously. It just feels like it's not something they're going to do. Mox is going to stay face. Danielson's going to be the heel. They'll fight at Revolution. And it'll be great still. I'm not going to hate it, but it won't be as great as it could be if they actually did this storyline that they seem to tease here. On Dynamite, uh, Hangman Adam Page complained that he's been champion for 81 days and has only had one challenger. He was impatient, waiting next week for a Texas death match with Lance Archer. He called him out. Dan Lambert said some shit. Hangman started talking. He got interrupted by Jake Roberts, interrupting the AEW champion. Then Archer came out and yelled. Hangman hit a suicide dive, threw him into the steel steps. Lambert hit Hangman with a steel chair. Archer hit Hangman with a steel chair and chokeslammed him into the steps that were propped on their side. Then he put him through the timekeeper's table with blackout. Archer was acting like a small town 1980s heel. The Hangman-Archer stuff, the wrestling, the fighting was very good on its own. Lambert and Roberts were completely unnecessary here. I'm not looking forward to next week's match based on storyline, but I'm sure it's going to be good when I get it. Like I'm, I'm going to enjoy watching it, but they've done nothing to make me say, oh, I cannot wait for this match. I'm so excited for Archer to challenge Paige for the AEW title. I don't feel that way at all. We have to be fair here. We have to note that Paige's championship run has not been strong thus far. Has he had a couple great matches with Danielson? Of course. But from a storyline perspective, making him feel like the most important person in the company, he does not feel that way, and it has not hit that way. And to me, when you're coming off a two-year storyline, and you're reaching that apex of Paige finally beating Omega, finally winning the AEW championship, he should be the hottest thing in the company right now. He does not feel anywhere near the hottest thing in AEW right now. And that, to me, is a problem. On Rampage, Andrade El Idolo stormed into Sting's locker room with cameras. Darby Allen was there by himself. Andrade asked where his boss was, called him a kid, and offered him a contract. Darby laughed, said he isn't concerned about money, and grabbed a bat. Andrade said, hey, I just got to talk to your boss. 
This was, I guess, maybe the best of what's been a really bad storyline so far. Darby just laughing at Andrade popped me, but Andrade seemingly not understanding that they're friends. I guess it's a gimmick on purpose. It's supposed to be funny, maybe. I, it just seems makes him feel stupid. Like, Andrade thinks the only reason that Sting and Darby would be together because he's being paid. Maybe that speaks to the character and how focused on money and power he is. Maybe that's the point. It just comes off as him being stupid, though. That's the only way I can put it. On Rampage, we had a tag team title match, Jurassic Express against Private Party. I have no idea why Private Party were challengers. I guess they were probably up in the rankings from winning matches on Dark or something like that. Again, this stuff is not happening on AEW television, so I'm not seeing it. Uh, The HFO or AHFO, whatever this convoluted group now is called, interfered at ringside. Andrade watched from a suite. Jungle Boy had a hot tag with two Tope Suicidas and a Tope Cannonball. There was a really choreographed spot where Jungle Boy was on Luchasaurus' shoulders and caught Isaiah Cassidy for a Spanish crossbody type move. Then the challengers hit a silly string. Mark Quinn broke snare trap with the shooting star press that he barely hit. Then Jungle Boy hit a Canadian destroyer and the, the champions combined for Thoracic Express and got the win. Literally one second after the bell, Gun Club attacked the champions with belt shots. The good news, it was the only post-match attack on the show, but it was pretty terrible. Uh, the match was fun, unspectacular, Somewhere in the three-star range for me. Didn't hit for me. Um, not not three stars flat. I'm saying somewhere in that range. I probably would have given it a B, like 3.25. I just couldn't place an exact rating on it. Uh, but I thought it was another worthless edition of Rampage, as I said earlier. On Dynamite, this was followed up. Andrade and Matt Hardy were upset that Private Party lost. Hardy said Cassidy could make up for it by winning the TNT title on Friday. Why is he getting a TNT title match? He just lost a tag team match. He's not a singles wrestler. There's so many other people who could be getting that opportunity. Just didn't make any sense to me. Uh, Then Hardy asked Andrade why Darby hasn't been signed yet. And Andrade said probably because he wants more money, which didn't compute with what we saw on screen on Rampage. This was just awful because it was nonsensical. On Dynamite also, the gun club harassed Jungle Boy backstage, rolled him into a pile of snow, and then ran away with Christian Cage chasing them. I just thought it was pretty strange. Uh, we had Chris Jericho he uh, do a taped promo. He said Santana and Ortiz ignoring him during their match last week was unacceptable and they should be more loyal to Jericho than Eddie Kingston. He demanded an inner circle team meeting next week on Dynamite with mandatory attendance for all involved so they could all air grievances. This was a really solid development in the storyline. I'm definitely curious to see how this goes. I've been mentioning how we haven't seen Inner Circle and Pinnacle together. We saw Pinnacle together last week for the first time in a while. And now next week, we're going to see Inner Circle together for the first time in a while. And those are both positive developments. Adam Cole was by himself uh, cutting a promo saying he's one of the best wrestlers in the world. He'll show a new side of himself and he'll beat Evil Uno to prove it as if that's some type of accomplishment. I, you know, I don't understand why he had to have a promo at all. I don't know why the match is happening, and I don't know why the Young Bucks were not with him or anyone else in that entire group faction. Bobby Fish, uh, Kyle O'Reilly, Cutler, I guess, was behind the camera, but no one was there. So no idea about that. On Dynamite, we had Brandi Rhodes uh, in the ring. She started cutting a promo when Lambert interrupted after five seconds to insult her, uh, her AEW company title, her looks. He called her black accent uh, fake when she gets angry and said it's like her boobs, and even said that she's so bad that Lambert gets cheered when he's across from her. Brandy got STFU chants not once but twice. 
She said Lambert should spend less time in AEW and more at American Top Tits, which I don't even get the joke there. Um, she, he said more sexist shit to her. She slapped him. He did have one great line about having more to do in AEW before he takes a step too far and gets canceled. So he's being careful not to ever hit her. I did like that. That was kind of smart. Uh, but then Paige Van Zant runs down and I'm thinking, okay, they're going to have a brawl and beat the shit out of each other. That'll be cool. All she did was lift Brandy off the ground into the corner. And then a bunch of other women ran in to separate them. And I was just dumbfounded to watch this. I think this was the second segment of the show, I believe. And I'm just sitting there and I'm just like, who thinks this is a good idea? Surely Dan Lambert and Brandy Rhodes have to know this is bad, but okay, maybe they don't because they're involved. Surely Tony Khan should know that no one wants to see this. The Brandy and Lambert stuff, I would like to say it was bordering on decent in terms of the back and forth promos, but it really wasn't. It was just more of the sexist, somewhat racist in in some degree, shit that they keep trying to force into things that Lambert and Brandy are involved in both together and separately. And then the attack took this from a zero all the way down. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. It's got about as much chance of getting over as Orange Cassidy. I actually didn't mean to hit that one. I meant to go with... But yeah, this does have... No chance of getting over. It is atrocious shit. Even if you get past the misogyny and the sexism, you're left with Brandy again in a top TV angle and Lambert shoved into another storyline, neither of which needs to happen. Now you have Lambert involved with Lance Archer for no reason. You have him involved in this Brandy Road storyline that does not need to happen. And he's still the manager de facto for Men of the Year, a team that both can speak on the mic and does not need a manager or advocate or whatever the case. You're left with something that just does not need to happen. It's get off my TV bad at this point. And it's only been two weeks of them going at it. Truly horrible stuff. The worst thing on professional wrestling television. Royal Rumble matches and booking stuff included over the last week. NXT had something really bad this week, but this was even worse than that. Like a 0.00000. Get this the hell off of my television. I presume we're getting Brandy Rhodes and Paige Van Zandt at Revolution. God help AEW if they actually book that. Shame on them. On Dynamite, uh, we also had Kings of the Black Throne versus Pentagon and Pac in a tag team match. Pac was helped to the ring while he was blindfolded. He did a Peter LaFleur type of deal from Dodgeball, and then he removed the blindfold. His vignettes were awesome that I thought there was going to be more to it than this, but it was cool for a brief moment. Black ate a brain buster from Pac. Penta hit an awesome step-up tope off of Pac's back. Brody King interrupted Fear Factor. Black missed Pentagon in the face, and they combined for Dante's Inferno Power Slam for the win. Strong match with good action. These four could put on an absolute banger if they were given the time and the spotlight, but this was more about storyline development. I was okay with it. They succeeded. The one thing I really do kind of hate about AEW in terms of them booking the Lucha Bros is Pentagon seems to lose all the time. This is a guy who should be in the main event conversation, who should be challenging for the TNT championship. 
And he always seems to take the fall because they never want to pin Ray Phoenix. And I guess because Pac gets pinned so many times, they're like, well, we can't pin him again. So we have to have Pentagon take the loss. So I, I presume we're going to get Pac against uh, Malachi Black. I almost called him Alistair at Revolution. I'm guessing that's going to be a match. But man, they got to get him wins. They got to figure out something to do with Malachi Black and Brody King to make them more important than they currently feel. Because Black came in really super hot with the Cody feud. He got over on him. And now they just threw him into a tag team where he was in, on, on track to be contending for singles titles. So what I would love to see is Kings of the Black Throne very quickly move up the rankings and take the AEW tag team titles off of uh, Jurassic Express. And then further down the line, you can have Santana and Ortiz be the team that beats Kings of the Black Throne for the titles. That way you go heel face heel, uh, or I'm sorry, face heel face is what I'm trying to say. Uh, And you have a nice progression of the tag team titles with a couple new teams being given opportunities. That's at least how I would book it. We had Nyla Rose versus Ruby Soho as the only women's match on Dynamite. Rose hit a Death Valley driver inside. Much later, Soho delivered a cutter on the apron before Nyla gave her a spinebuster on concrete. Ruby hit no future, but Vicky Guerrero pulled Nyla's leg under the bottom rope. Soho slipped and missed while trying, I think, no future again with Nyla on the ropes. So Rose hit a senton bomb and a beast bomb for the win. Ruby's slip or whatever that was, it was strange. But if it was purposeful, then it did make sense in terms of a finish for something weird to happen to her and Rose to take advantage of it. Uh, Rose was probably the right person to go over here just because of the size differential. But it does suck that Ruby, again, came into AEW really hot and they've just kind of let it dissipate. Now she's just another wrestler on the brand at this point. On Rampage, we had a TBS title match, Jade Cargill against Julia Hart. Jade hit a pump kick to the chest and then jaded for the win. And I think it was two minutes. Terrible match. Don't even know why Julia Hart got a title shot here. Commentary noted now that Jade is 26-0, and I realized 25 of those 26 matches are completely unmemorable. The only one I remember is the match with Shaq. That's it. We also had FTR against Lee Johnson and Brock Anderson on Rampage. Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard argued outside, and Arn struck Tully. FTR then won with a spike pile driver. I really liked that they didn't use their finisher because they didn't need their finisher to beat this tag team. And that needs to happen way more often in wrestling matches. Otherwise, this was just kind of a waste of time. But I I liked that simple wrestling booking where someone's in a match. It's not against anyone huge. They don't have to hit their finisher. They get over clean and they move on. There's so many matches in WWE and AEW where that needs to happen more frequently. So really good stuff there. So that's it from AEW. Um, I did think Dynamite was a pretty damn strong show, mostly because of the main event. I mean, the main event took up 40 minutes. You know, basically half of the televised time of Dynamite was that one main event. But when you couple that with the John Moxley, Brian Danielson storyline, and again, the Page Archer attack I liked, even though I think the storyline is weak, it did come together for a really good Dynamite. But that Brandy Rhodes-Lambert thing, man, it is just atrocious. They got to consider just pulling it. AW doesn't normally do that. Even when there's a lot of criticism for a segment or a storyline, they still see it through. Um, They should consider maybe not doing that here. I don't know how they could fix it. Maybe Red Velvet or someone stands in for Brandy and fights Paige Van Zandt. Man, I don't even know at this point. I don't know what they're doing, but it does speak volumes when your women's champion, did I mention her 
on either of those shows? No. Who did I mention? Jade Cargill, Julia Hart, and Brandy Rhodes. Sure, Nyla Rose and, and Ruby Soho also, but three of the five women I mentioned, just a total waste. Meanwhile, your women's champion can't, can't even get on television. That's a problem. So let, let's uh, move from AEW to NXT, which I thought was, um trying to think of how I can describe NXT. I thought it was a very decent show from top to bottom. Lots of positives, some negatives, and it was largely used to build towards Vengeance Day, the special show, in two weeks. So if you put it in the context of building towards a special, then I did think it was pretty successful. Uh, Braun Breaker asked Tommaso Ciampa why he had his back last week in the parking lot. Ciampa said the mountaintop in NXT is a lonely place. Braun finally understands that now that he's champion, and he wants to make sure Braun remains champion. Then they agreed to kick ass in the main event. It was kind of a curious segment. Champa didn't really explain why he cares about Braun remain, remaining champion, especially when he should be wanting to get the title back. He should be angry. But I guess we're going to see how that unfolds. So we had Breaker and Champa against Legado del Fantasma in the main event. The faces did a double delayed vertical suplex, and then Champa's cheering back, back pat celebration. It was a really fun moment to go to commercial. Santos Escobar distracted Braun, letting Raul Mendoza hit a missile dropkick and an absurd twisting 450 splash for a near fall. Champa shoved Wild off the top rope through the announce table, which exploded in an extreme spot. The crowd went crazy for it as Braun hit Mendoza in the ring with a spear and his press power slam finisher for the win. Escobar trash talked after the bell, but nothing really happened. Uh, Breaker and Champa were actually pretty great together as a team. Mendoza was the MVP of the match by far. He is just incredible. Wild's bump was absurd. Lots of fun, but not overly special from like a storytelling standpoint. And the beginning of it wrestling-wise wasn't that good. So I'll say 3.25 stars in a B, but a totally watchable match and a legitimate main event for the show that sent the fans home happy. Ultimately, even if it's not great wrestling, if there's big spots like that and the fans can get excited and you can sell a big match at the pay-per-view, which they did, Breaker versus Escobar, then it's successful. And because of all those reasons, this was successful. A toxic attraction hit the ring for a promo. Gigi Dolan and JC Jane kind of freshened up their looks a little bit. They promised to retain their titles in two weeks. Kaylee Ray then interrupted and demanded a title match. Mandy Rose said no and started bragging about being hot and all of her modeling. KLR said she dominated an entire continent while Mandy was slipping at WrestleMania and kissing Otis. Mandy said she's what WWE wants and needs in a women's champion and that talent won't replace her looks, which is honestly sad, but also incredibly true when it comes to WWE, and that made it even sadder. Uh, KLR guaranteed that she would get a title match before the end of the night, slapped Mandy, and then chased Toxic Attraction away with a bat. In the parking lot, Mandy got locked out of an SUV as KLR drove away with the other two members of Toxic Attraction. Actually, this was all not that bad. It made complete sense with both clearly getting their points across it was just depressing again to hear the truth being said as part of a storyline where we know Mandy, the looks, not the talent, is actually going to win the feud in the end. Uh, but it was successful, and it was something that played out over the course of the entire episode, which I'm going to get all of to, to all of that right now. Uh, Idris Anofe and Malik Blade said they are bold, brave and, brave, and confident, so their name should be Team BBC. You get it, obviously. Uh, Anofe brought up Mandy again told Blade to close his eyes and imagine what he would say to her if she was there right in front of him. And right as he closed her eyes, 
Mandy fell into his arms as Kaylor was chasing her with a bat. Anofe wanted to save her, but Blade didn't want to go because he couldn't stand up. He needed a minute. You know what? I'll admit, I actually chuckled at this segment. It was far funnier than them just talking about asking Mandy Rose out last week. It was pretty good. They're trying hard to inject some like adult themes. And while it's very blatant sometimes, this one actually worked. And like I said, it was way better than last week. Uh, Anyway, Mandy thought she escaped KLR when out of nowhere, she got a bowl of spaghetti dumped on her head in the catering area. And then she got a cake thrown in her face. It was a waste of good cake, if I do say so myself. Looked like a marble cake, which I always love. After the main event, KLR dragged Mandy out to the ring, threatened her, demanded a title match next week, and hit the gory bomb to end the show. It was a nice ending to NXT, a strong way to build their match. Overall, a pretty good storyline for what, as of last week, did not look like it was going to be one. As you guys may be able to tell, I'm still losing my voice in parts here, so not 100% over uh, COVID yet, but I'm 95% of the way there. Still trying to power through here. Uh, Duke Hudson was shown reshaving his head, noting that he was addicted to poker and his looks, but now he's only going to be addicted to inflicting pain and making people suffer. I remain extremely pleased with this character change. As I said last week, the direction, it's pretty solid, and I loved that they referenced the stupid poker stuff while reintroducing him with this vignette. Very, very good stuff. Later, we had Indy Hartwell and Persia Parada. They were getting pumped up for their title match when Parada asked them what they thought of Hudson's Instagram photos because Parada thought they were hot. Brooks Jensen came up and asked how his relationship with Caden Carter could be like Indy's with Dexter Loomis. Indy said it can be a turnoff when guys talk too much. They looked at each other and then they went off to the hot tub. Unlike the Inofe Blade segment, this one was awful and terribly forced. Uh, We had Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams come out with Melo saying he takes Cameron Grimes seriously as a threat for his title. They all had this really short, fun back and forth, but it wasn't particularly good in any way. It was actually disappointing because all three guys are good on the mic, but this one did not accomplish much of anything in selling the match. Imperium and Diamond Mine opened NXT. Uh, Roderick Strong had a great segment with Gunther, then got thrown into the steps by Imperium. Gunther and Brutus Creed then went at it with a powerbomb winning the match for Imperium. It was cool to see these two groups fight, given the talent and youth all mixed together there. Ultimately, though, it just was not that special. Solid opener more than anything else. Uh, Diamond Mine later promised to get retribution by beating Imperium for the tag team titles after they win the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. Grizzled Young Veterans talked trash, saying they should be focused on next week, and Malcolm Bivens called them nerds. This was well done. I like that all of Diamond Mine gets an opportunity to speak, even though Bivens is clearly the leader and the best one out of the group on the mic, but even giving these people five seconds each to cut a line or two, it just, it's reps, it's experience, and they're going to need it, especially the Creed brothers who are very young and neophyte and and need to kind of learn how to talk and get their point across on the mic. Uh, Raquel Gonzalez had a match against Cora Jade scheduled. Gonzalez gave Jade one last chance to back out before the bell, but Jade said no. Gonzalez dominated and stretched Jade over her shoulder before running her chest first into the corner. Cora got a hurricanrana in Siguri, but Raquel caught her with a chingona bomb and got the win in about six minutes. Gonzalez then shook her hand after and agreed to team with her. It was a solid enough match. Uh, Gonzalez dominated it, which was appropriate both in kayfabe and reality due to her size. It was a nice, simple story that Jade won over Gonzalez. But the only thing I didn't understand is how did Jade win over Gonzalez when she was less impressive one-on-one here than she was in the triple threat title match that they were both in previously. Like there was nothing here. Again, Gonzalez dominated her. So there was nothing here where it said like, 
oh yeah, Jade really took it to her and had a couple near falls and impressed her. It was more just she survived the match. So I thought that was a little bit weak. Uh, LA Knight was backstage ranting about Grayson Waller when Joe Gacy said he helped Harlan get over a restraining order and would be happy to do the same again for LA Knight. Knight instead said, screw that, let's fight. So we had Knight and Gacy in a match. Knight got knocked outside. He was confronted by Sangha and then hit with a rolling cutter with Grayson Waller jumping over the barricade during his roll uh, and doing the cutter without the referee seeing. It was a really cool spot. Knight barely beat the 10 count and Gacy immediately hit a handspring lariat for the win. Waller talked trash after and Sangha chokeslammed Knight. Waller said if Knight beats Sangha next week, he'll get rid of this restraining order, clearing the way for them to fight. Waller's interference basically allowed this whole thing to make sense, but it was far too short. I'd like to have seen Knight and Gacy actually wrestle before you get to the booking and the finish. Why not do both? I never understand that. We had Saray fight Kayla Inlay, I believe was her name. Uh, So Saray got another video that had the schoolgirl look. And then she had the same look walking backstage. And I'm like, oh man, I really hope they don't just do this. But then she grabbed her amulet and walked through lights and smoke to return to looking like a normal wrestler. She had new gear and gray bangs on the front of her reddish brown hair. Saray was her normal great self in the ring. She had her basement decapitation dropkick on the ropes, followed by the Saito suplex for the win. Later, she was back in the schoolgirl outfit Uh, while being interviewed backstage, she still had the amulet on. She dedicated the victory to her grandma and said the amulet lets her accomplish anything she sets her mind to. Dakota Kai then stepped up to remind her that the sun always sets on important relationships. Again, I love the character that Dakota Kai is playing where like anyone who's happy, whether it's friendship, relationship, whatever the case, Dakota Kai comes in to remind you like, hey, relationships don't last. I've been screwed so many times. And it's true because it happened with Raquel Gonzalez and Tegan Knox. Um, so I just thought, I thought that was pretty funny for them to do that. Uh, regarding Saray, I will say that I breathed a sigh of relief here because I said on last week's show or whenever it was that we discussed this, that I was very concerned they were only going to go with the schoolgirl gimmick. And the only way that they could save it from being very stereotypical was to do an anime type of transformation. And that's exactly what they did, ultimately. It was executed pretty well. Her new look isn't that different from the old look, but the gray bangs are a nice touch, and her new music is actually a big improvement compared to the old stuff. It's very, like, Street Fighter-esque, and I appreciate that as someone who was a big Street Fighter fan back in the day. Also, the crowd was all in on Saray, and previously, she did get good reactions, but she did not get great reactions. I just wish her Clark Kent, the part of her out of the ring, wasn't this schoolgirl character. It is still stereotypical, but given it is part of this transition into Superman, it makes it more understandable. It makes it real Japanese anime adjacent as opposed to WWE doing a stereotype Japanese schoolgirl gimmick, if that makes sense. I can accept the fantastical nature of it and see what they're going for. You could also see she was far more confident and carried herself far better and stronger overall, making that entrance and wrestling in the ring than she did in the past where she was just Saray, former stardom wrestler. And it was very similar to the transformation that Io Shirai made. If you remember, when she started on NXT, it was like, oh, Io Shirai, good wrestler, not really much to her. Then she got the music change, the dark gimmick, the flashing lights, and suddenly 
you could just see the confidence and you could feel the confidence in her. And I saw the exact same thing from Saray here. So would this be exactly 100% my gimmick if I had a choice for her? No, but I will admit 75% of it is okay. It's just that schoolgirl look that still kind of bothers me a little bit, but they did do exactly what I hoped they would do uh, when I talked about it last week. And because of that, I'm good with it. If she was wrestling as a schoolgirl and, you know, you know, laughing with her hands over her mouth and doing all that type of shit, I would have a huge problem with it. Ultimately, I don't. I hope as this character continues to develop, maybe they move away from the out-of-ring persona and allow her to just be the in-ring persona at all times. Uh, so, okay, we also had Wendy Chu against Amari Miller. Uh, Tiffany Stratton promised to take Miller on a shopping spree if she beat Chu. She wore her comfy pajamas, Wendy did, and took a nap in the ring, then had Miller in a leg hold and took a nap on her knee. She dropped a forearm with a midair nap. Chu hit some suplexes and ate a code breaker for a near fall. Stratton came down and slid her credit card into the ring for no reason whatsoever that I can tell. Uh, Miller was distracted and Chu hit like an axe handle to the chest. That was, I think, meant to be her hands shaped in a nap pose, I presume at least, for the win. Stratton demanded her card back. Uh, from Miller, but it was shown that Chu actually grabbed it. And I guess they're they're probably going to do some type of angle where she goes on a shopping spree buying pillows and blankets and stuff next week. That's all I can guess. Uh, This was good, I guess. Not great. It was actually a letdown from my expectations uh, regarding the Wendy Chu character. I thought we would see more fun stuff instead of every single thing she does being a take on napping, right? Like, I know it's a sleepy gimmick, But there's other things you can do. You can yawn and that can cause you to, you know, uh, avoid a a, uh, lariat, right? Or a a clothesline or something. You can do a move and then pass out from exhaustion. There's just so many different ways to do it. It felt like instead they had one small part of a gimmick and they just relied on that for the entire match. They really need to expand it if it's going to work as a comedic character. Right now, though, it is cute. It is a little bit different. I'm not out on it by any means but I was previously all in on it and now I'm just in on it. So they still got some ways to go there. Uh, Pete Dunn showed off his cricket bat and said he took Tony D'Angelo's advice by getting the job done any means necessary. Then he said, hey, let's fight. Let's end this whole feud challenge in a steel cage match to settle the score once and for all. Uh, These two in the past so far have worked really well together. I think that match is going to be fun. Robert Stone said he was too focused on entertainment and not the sports part of the business So that's why he's linked up with Von Wagner, because Wagner is a future champion in NXT and WWE. Let's hope that's not true. Uh, Stone definitely does help Wagner, and them together is better than either of them separate, but I'm still a total sell on this until they convince me otherwise. We had Andre Chase against Draco Anthony. This was Anthony's debut. There was a vignette showing him training at the Performance Center after hours when it was empty. He also wore fatigues because he's an ex-Marine. Chase dominated, but Anthony took him out and wiped his boot on the Chase U flag. You would think as a Marine, he would not disrespect the flag, but granted, it was just a Chase U flag. Uh, Chase won relatively easily with a face buster. Not a great debut. Uh, Chase called out Wagner after the match. So I guess he'll get squashed next week or the week after that. And then lastly here, the thing that I told you was the other worst thing in professional wrestling this week, besides Brandy Rhodes and Dan Lambert. This woman, Nikita Lyons, got a video package that showed off her family, a bassist and a groupie. She also apparently makes music. And from what they played, which was her sing rapping into a microphone, it was just horrendous. 
It was one of the worst character introductions in NXT, WWE, anywhere that I've ever seen. One of the all-time worst vignettes ever. E-V-E-R. Forever, ever. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. I am pissed off. I'm pissed to the highest level of pissivity. Okay, I guess I'm not pissed to the highest level of pissivity because it's just like a low-card act that they're introducing, and I should really save that drop for things that are more important, such as the Royal Rumble finish. But this was just laughably bad. It was insultingly bad. It, you you had, like, just think about what NXT and WWE had. They had Hit Row that felt real. It felt like something you could buy into, and you could say to yourself, hey, this is a modern, unique, fun gimmick with a bunch of wrestlers who can get it over and did get it over in NXT. And maybe you could even argue we're starting to get it over on SmackDown. And they said, hey, you know what? We should do that again. But someone who has, but with someone who has absolutely no talent for rapping or music making whatsoever. Hey, Nikita Lyons, Go ahead. This is going to be your gimmick. Now, I don't know her. I don't know what her background is, if she actually has a musical background, whatever. But that woman uh, who did a song on NXT last week or two weeks ago that I absolutely trashed, I don't even remember her name is how bad she was. She was like Rihanna compared to Nikita Lyons. Like like she was someone who could headline an MTV Music Video Award um, as opposed to Nikita Lyons, who you wouldn't see if I hosted a rap battle in my backyard, she wouldn't be on the card. This was as bad as anything NXT 2.0 or 1.0 has ever done. As I said, 0.0. I hope they are smart enough, and I don't know that they are, to completely scrap this gimmick, never show this again, give her a new name, a new gimmick, redebut her like three months from now as a completely different person. This is as dead in the water as anything in NXT ever has been. I guess maybe they could do it in a way where it's supposed to be bad, but man, wrestling gimmicks that are supposed to be bad never work, especially in the long term. So please, NXT, be smart. Never, ever do this again. Okay, so that is it in the world of AEW and NXT this week. I didn't think I was going to get as angry about Nikita Lyons as I did, but there we go. I was legitimately Uh, angry about it as you just heard. So look, it's been a long week for the Silver King in particular, but I'm glad you guys got to come along for the ride with the Royal Rumble Instant Analysis uh, Saturday night, as soon as that show went off the air, the WWE show on Tuesday, which you should listen to if you have not yet. And of course, today's AEW and NXT edition of the podcast. We will be back next week with two more episodes on Tuesday. We'll talk all things WWE. On Thursday, we'll be talking NXT and AEW. As always, a reminder that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, this episode, every episode, and forever. It's so head on over to Apple Podcasts on Spotify. Leave that five-star rating for us. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. So with that, actually, you know what? Let's bring someone else in to say goodbye to them.
And thank you all for listening. I will now leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.